welcome to episode three, In All Honesty. We're Rachel and Sarah from Art With Heart. Thanks for joining us again. This week we talk about class, sex and age. As we've been talking about in previous episodes, this podcast marks the Equality Act 2010 turn in 10 and has been born out of the work we've been doing in schools. In most of the workshops in schools, when we start, we ask for real examples of equality and inequality in the world today to discuss them. And class usually comes up. The students are always surprised to hear that class isn't listed as a protected characteristic, yet they can give example after example of why it should be. We've brought together 13 artists from across Greater Manchester to create five-minute responses to the protected characteristics listed in the Equalities Act. So, after listening to the thousands of young people tell us how class impacts them, we wanted to give space for an artist to explore that. Here's Louise on class. Hello, I'm Louise Walwyn. I'm a poet, playwright and lyricist. Protected characteristics are aspects of a person's identity that makes them who they are. A big part of my identity is as someone who was raised by the state. It's a big and mostly hidden aspect of who I am. I want to make a case for the care experience to be treated as a protected characteristic. Box ticking. I tick all kinds of box, but the box that doesn't exist yet is a box for people displaced by the state. I'm a working class though. I can turn on my telephone voice and even sound a little RP when I want to. That's because a social worker paid for speech and drama lessons for me out of her own pocket. I was forcibly removed as a baby from my mother. Adopted, failed at being adopted and travelled through 13 children's homes. A social worker described me as a destroyed child. I was collateral damage in a family at war with itself. People like me, we are stars jettisoned from our nebula and we have to travel through strange galaxies throughout our lives. We travel through classes, often adopted, fostered, looked after by middle class people. You're a stranger everywhere. When I went into care, I lost everything and everyone. I lost my people and my class. In one home I was in, I was literally strip-searched and my clothes were locked away at night. Being institutionalised can be brutal. My star, it's burnt bright for sure, because I've been determined to defy the expected trajectories. How did I get here? I'm quite privileged in loads of ways. People ask me all the time about how I managed to survive the things that I have. After leaving care and zigzagging through 10 years of homelessness, then becoming a writer, getting a degree when I was 30, having quite a top career, zigzagging again through breakdowns and breakthroughs, hanging onto cliff edges, just about managing to be here. I'm lucky and people tell me I have talent. Survival shouldn't rely on those things though.
I even accepted an MBE. I've overachieved in many ways. It's been a strategy of survival. I did all that with an absence of love and completely ignoring the fact that I have serious issues with my mental health that didn't emerge until I was about 47 and finally got therapy after everything had fallen apart again. I've got complex post-traumatic stress disorder. What's all this got to do with class? You see, I was forcibly removed from my tribe and my class. And people like me, we go unseen. There is no bubble but my own bubble. And nobody knows the true cost of this displacement. I need my own box. Anyone forcibly removed from their mother needs protection throughout their lives. I have characteristics that need protection. I have trauma and I know I'm not alone in this. There are many of us. And we are made vulnerable by the state who decide to be our parents. And I need some reasonable adjustments. That was really beautiful and it actually made me think about the word protection more than ever and this idea of protected characteristics and the protection within that. And I think for me, one of the big problems that I find with the Equalities Act is that the notion that protection is often wrapped up in protecting someone from discrimination and harm. So it's very reactive and not proactive in that protection and care. And I started to think about the way that yeah. Louise talks about the care system and actually that she needed protection as a child. And I thought about all the different ways in which my parents protected me. And it wasn't just from harm or injury. You know, parents, uh, you know, well, not just parents, but we protect our loved ones in a multitude of ways and not just from harm. Like they protected my hopes and my ambitions. They protected my doubts, my insecurities. You, know, you protect people from colds, from the cold, from the sun, from other people's words. And I think that when, you know, we as people need a field of protection around us. And when you are deprived of that protection from a really young age, I think you need more of it and you deserve more of it. And it should be a right that you get more of that active, protective support as you grow older. So I would absolutely advocate for, for you know, children who have been, children who've been displaced. There was a there was a program recently on on telly and um, I was yelling at the TV quite a lot. There was a, a woman who Surprise was retired. Uh, <laughs> there was a um, a woman who was retired, a white woman, uh, talking to uh, a black young guy from Newham in London, and she she was trying to connect with him on the fact that she was saying you know I grew up working class you know I get it I get it and she's like living in a mansion I'm like I don't think you realize you even your like your perception of how it was for you as a white woman who may have been working class growing up is very different to a, a black guy growing up in you know in in East London 
is a very different experience. So this sense of like her life has changed. She, she ex, you know, her kind of live life situation is no longer working class. And yet there's this thing of like, oh yeah, well we we get it because we're all in it together. It's like no. Yeah, and so yeah, no. and it always feels like there it, there's this expectation that falls on working class people to better themselves, to be something better, that they should better themselves before they almost are given or deserve the rights that everybody else holds. Like it shouldn't take a Premier League footballer to speak to someone in power to get children free meals. Like those children should just be entitled to those. It shouldn't take people in a position of privilege who've come from disadvantage to fight for those people. Those rights should already be there. And I just want to mention, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, um, you know, when, when Prince Charles and when the Prime Minister were diagnosed with coronavirus, people said this virus doesn't discriminate. We are all in this together. Yeah. But that's not the case. According to the Office for National Statistics figures, the coronavirus mortality rate in the most deprived areas, such as Ellswick in Newcastle, is more than twice that in the least deprived areas. And if we want to actually get that down to to the specifics, between March 1st and May 31st, the least deprived areas of the country, the age standardised mortality rate for all deaths was 242.6 deaths per 100,000 population. In the most deprived area, the age standardised mortality rate for all deaths was 466.2 deaths per 100,000 population. That's 92.9% higher than in the least deprived areas. This virus discriminates. In a a debate in in a school, there was one young person who... Almost like it, it, if if you were this didn't actually happen, but visually, like the way their voice carried was almost like they were standing up and about to flip a table, and we were having this discussion about class, and they just said, "Why should I have to fight harder than them?" Like, and that's it, and that's it in a nutshell. Why should you? Why should you have to fight harder? Thank you, Louise, for your reflections on class. Next up is Keisha, who we asked to reflect on sex. I read a page in a book. The author is Criado Perez. The book is called Invisible, Exposing Data Bias, Men. I read a fact that got me thinking. It said Paul, the economist who came up with GDP, which is gross product, concluded that in the home should be included in the calculation and this was all the way back in 1950. However, it was decided that it was just too big of a task and it's 62 years on now and count it. Now, isn't that some bull... Sorry, am I cutting out? Let me try something. This might help. Okay, so let's start again. I read a page in a book. The author is Caroline Criado Perez. The book is called Invisible Women, Exposing Data in a World Designed for Men. I read a fact that got me thinking. It said that Paul Studinsky 
the economist who came up with GDP, which is gross domestic product, concluded that unpaid work in the home should be included in the calculation. And this was all the way back in 1958. However, it was decided that it's just too big of a task. And it's 62 years on now. We still don't count it. Oh, isn't that some... Sorry. I still feel like something's missing. Let me just try this. Okay. So, third time lucky, I guess. So, I read this book and... Do you know what? Actually, why don't we just forget about Paul Studinsky and his deliberate erasure? Has anyone heard of Bhutan? Has anyone heard of GNH? You know, in 1978, the king of Bhutan, King Wang Chuk, he came up with this concept of gross national happiness. He was the first to bring the idea into global consciousness and now we see other countries following suit like Canada and the Philippines. One of the latest was New Zealand with their amazing leader, Jacinda Ardern. You know, they've been using the happiness index to help them form governmental policy. And that feels so right to me. Because, you know, it's hard enough being part of a capitalist system that wants to reduce you to a statistic, to monetary value, to feeling like a product, but to then be cut out of that. Mr. Studinsky knew that we should include unpaid labour, which is mainly done by women. We should include that in gross domestic products, but he just chose not to. And that's just corrupt. It's infuriating. It's just a bit. So I say thank you to Bhutan and King Wang Chuk because equality shouldn't feel like luck. Shouldn't feel like I'm praying not to be that short straw about to be plucked. So yeah, I might be part of a country that has some kind of economic stability, but that doesn't make me feel free. Give me less GDP and more of that GNH because I want to feel like we're all on the same page.
Yes, I need some of that GNH. I feel like Keisha's is su it's such it's the most beautiful look at exclusion I've ever heard. It really is, isn't it? Also. King Wang Chuck. I am such a big fan. As soon as I heard that, I was like, yes, Keisha. I really like the idea that equality shouldn't feel like luck is is a beautiful, a beautiful statement. But also economic stability doesn't make me feel free. And I think that's what I've been feeling, you know, in this pandemic, when we've been talking about we've got to get the economy back on track. We've got to get, you know, keep businesses moving and that the version of the world starting again and freeing up for me during this lockdown it hasn't made me feel free like that that's economic progress and restart that's not human emotional connection um we've for a long time we've i think society as a society we've been counting our happiness in financial terms like having massive cars and massive holidays and it's such a good shift. I remember I went to this is I mean this is going back maybe like fifteen years. I went to this really rogue <laughs> this workshop and I can't remember the title of it. It was something around uh, success, like how to be more successful or something. And uh, I went along. There was there was free there was a free brew and a biscuit. I'm I'm there. So we're around this huge table and I'm the youngest person there by far. Um, and everyone is asked the opening question of how they measure their success. And we go around the table one by one and people read out what they've written on their bit of paper like, oh, if I had this car, if I have gone on this holiday, if I've got this much in the bank, if if this, that and that, and everything was measured by stuff. And it got to me and I said, I want to not be close to the edge financially and proud of myself and what I make. Like as an artist. Of course you did. <laughs> but I was the only one that measured my happiness, my success by happiness. Like how happy, how content I am. And that's so Im that's so important. And anyway, the guy in the workshop was like, you will need to be more like this. And they were like, oh, you're young and carefree. And I was like, no, I think I just, stuff doesn't make us happy. Think about happiness in society and in terms of sex and gender, you know, I'll, I'll be happy if we had actual equal pay. You know, there's been a law since 1970 for equal pay. But yet, you know, even just last year, there's a case <laughs> where Samir Ahmed was paid £440 an episode and Jeremy Vine was paid £3,000 an episode for the same job. You know, she won that case because <laughs> that is not equal pay. You know, so I'll be happy if, you know, the Equal Pay Act is working um i'll be happy when the gender pay gap is closed um i'll be happy when there's no sexual harassment you know half of women have reported being sexually harassed at work 64 percent of women have experienced unwanted sexual harassment in public places uh, most women i know have experienced that personally i'll be happy Completely. when there's no reinforcing of stereotypes you know when my niece doesn't my you know doesn't say things like, oh, Auntie Sarah, don't be silly. Girls can't be doctors. Boys are doctors. Girls are nurses. Like, I'll be happy when those things change. Thanks, Keisha. Next up is Denise on age. I've been aging since I was born. 
but I knew there would be a time when I would be thought of as old. I fully intended to enter that age outrageous, more carefree, unfettered by embarrassments, more self-possessed after years of mistakes, survivals and triumphs. Life since the 40s had that promise, and there were plenty of great role models. Grayson and Philippa Perry, Helen Mirren, Maya Angelou, Christine Lagarde, Ian McKellen, David Bowie, John Lewis. Life force, drive, creativity radiates from these people, with things to do and say, lives to touch and change. Aging so far had not been that drift into melancholy, isolation, fixed rituals and decay that the pop songs of my teenage had imagined, a life lived in memories. In Britain, as we age, we're protected by a law. It tells employers and society we shouldn't face discrimination. Do I feel protected and proud, embraced by a society that values fairness and respect, treasures us whatever our age? I feel proud of a society that put that protection in place, but unnerved that we need it. When do I become old? Am I old when the state decides I can have a pension at 66? Or when I choose to retire, which may be earlier or later or not at all? Am I old when COVID-fearful society decides I'm particularly vulnerable and must avoid social contact to protect myself and others and the NHS? Am I old when my face is etched with wrinkles and exercise won't give me the body of my youth? And clamouring social media tells me I've let myself go. Am I old when I'm not seen as useful and not respected by the next generation? When do we become old? All the vibrant older people who have touched my life stand as beacons. Funny, fabulous, flawed, knowing much, still learning. To be in the rough and tumble of many generations in my large family, where age rubbed shoulders with youth, was a privilege. Not that I always knew it or valued it at the time. Eyes and hearts that had experienced worlds I hadn't seen, conjured up in songs, poems, stories, jokes. Wincingly good jokers, my family, capable of flattening and empowering in equal measure, reminding me I was granted breath, time, experience, love, friendship for such a short time. And these unique individual worlds could disappear in a minute, so moments together needed to be cherished. As we moved into the era of image, with social media and technology fixated on the rituals to maintain youth, could we embrace age without fear? Fear not the wrinkle. Embrace the face that travels with you every day. Those great role models showed me the way. People who knew health was wealth, not beauty, and life was a gift to be celebrated and shared to the last breath. Covid arrived like a chilling wind, harming all, bringing death and uncertainty. The strategies of staying healthy and alive seemed so much more important. But Covid threatens to divide and isolate generations if we let it. A seismic generational rift, media and policy fed, statistically defined, revealed at opportune moments to make a sensational case for the divide between old and young. Imagine a future where generations do not mix. Those magical encounters of birth and chance, as age and youth snuggle up together, pass fleetingly on the stair, or collide like comets, are no more. Becoming rare encounters, having to be sought out like old books that have become redundant, tucked in dusty libraries, ancient novelties, 
or even worse, something we can't afford to care for anymore. Dispensable, mouldy and fading. Appropriate company for themselves alone. I thought I would fear frailty, illness, dependency, indignity. Genuine anxieties that haunt. But separating old from young chills me more. I want to live in a society where we care about the old. Not because the law tells us we should. A society where we reap all the benefits of caring, fairness and humanity. Artist, inventor, lover, dreamer. The dreams of age are rich, just like yours. Complex, unique pasts, woven through with visions of the future. So when you next look into the eyes of someone old, look for the radiance and the laughter within. Imagine their beating heart, their dreams, their hopes and yearning, and the possibilities after that first hello. I that resonates with me so much. Like I, as as a as someone in their mid thirties, I miss being around older people so much. Like there's so much joy and happiness and you know, lessons to learn and vitality in the older generations that I really miss that. I missed that as a child. Like I lost all of my grandparents quite early on. I really, really miss that. And I think in society, we're really missing that too. Like when we, so we did a project uh, called the Golden Years Caravan and we created um, a photographic exhibition called Old Stock, New Stock. And we worked with, one of the photographs is of a woman called Nassim, and we didn't speak the same language, but we met each other every, you know, once a week for however many weeks we were there. And the amount that we laughed and that, that joy of like, we all, you know, shared so much together. And I, I really valued that into kind of multi-generational space. And I think we've, we've lost so much of that. And I just, I fear that like Denise, we, that we, might not ever get it back. Yeah, I, one of the partners we worked with actually on that project, alongside the exhibition, we created a film um, with a group of elder neighbours from an amazing charity called Manchester Cares. So Manchester Cares partners um, young people, young professionals working in the city who are living, you know, within within a short distance of old people. The idea is looking at how gentrified our cities have become, how often the communities are really um, separate from one another. Um, one of the things they're really keen on is the fact that their, their intergenerational project is not a befriending service. Both parties are coming at this on an equal pegging. And the whole purpose is they match people based on interest. So Jim, an incredible artist who's 90, got his first degree in his mid-60s, which we love, who helped to make a film with us. Um, he's matched with um, a young woman who has just finished a fine art degree. And they go to exhibitions together. They talk about their favourite artists, their favourite paintings, and they bond based on interest. And, and that... that intergenerational connection is so important and I think a lot of it comes from how we look at and view older people in society you know part of the inspiration for the project was me trying to get my grandma involved in a local community group at a church and I said to her um oh grand you know would you like to go down to the local like it's the get together and she was like oh no no be full of old people my grand's nearly 90 
But my gran didn't like and doesn't like how society sees her. And it's so important that we change that. There are such vivacious, vibrant older people in our communities who are running on plenty. They have so much more to give. There is so much more life to be had, you know? Yeah. So much more. Oh, we, we talk about, um, we introduced the bucket list bingo card when we toured the caravan around. And um, my gran came, she came along to see the caravan and we gave her one of the bucket list bingo cards and the idea was that, that there was 12 squares and we wanted people to write the bucket list, things that they wanted to do. My gran filled those squares and then some. She was writing stuff on the other side and it was so nice. My gran was like, I don't know the last time that somebody asked me what I wanted to do or what was in the future for me. Everybody asked me about my past. Everything is retrospective and it's so important to remember how much uh, life there is left. And actually for a lot of those older people, they said to me that on retirement, their lives had really begun. They weren't a slave to the wage anymore. They could actually start to become the people they'd always wanted to. Yeah. Um, and like like Denise says, you know, artists, inventors, dreamers, that doesn't stop when you become a certain age. That That is you, that is intrinsically you, and you carry on with that. Thanks, Denise. Our next and final episode is episode four, Othered, where we'll be talking about deafness, singledom, gender binaries and race. Join us then.